what's going on? Welcome to another edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And, of course, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text Line. It's trade season, and not just in the NBA, Grant, <laughs> No, the NHL raising its game. And we'll get into it, but right now I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sort of in a desolate state. I honestly... As a Raptors fan, getting very Canucks 2016 trade wow. deadline vibes from Masai Ujiri, and I never thought I'd make a Masai Ujiri-Jim Benning comparison, but <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm there. That's where I'm at. Now, has there been the, um, you know, the... No, we the, official, like, the official, like... It's done? No, yeah, sources say no more deals in the in the pipe. All right, well, we'll see. Um, anyways, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the big KD trade goes I'm just down saying, last it's grim. night. It's grim in my head right now. Now, we, th- we, we know how much everyone loves Raptors talk on this station, yes. so we will shelve it there unless, you know, someone gets traded for an entire second round. <laughs> but- Can you put on the Canucks game? You want to watch that game again from last <laughs> night, Dom? Producer Dom? Did you watch that game? Oh, my God. Like, the New Jersey game was fun, and then last night it was just like, oh, yeah. boy. Eh. Neither team played well. That, yeah. That's my expert high-level well, analysis I would of say the, the Rangers played well until they built a 3-1 lead. Yeah. And then they clearly... The, Rang- the Rangers did what they needed to to win yeah. the game. They no, didn't do more than that, though. No, they didn't. It's just going to be one of those... The rest of the season, right? You're going to have, like, moments where it's fun because it's hockey and it's fun. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have a lot of moments where teams just tune out and start taking the Canucks not seriously. And at the end of it, you're going to have the Canucks at 80 points. <laughs> it's just, yeah, joyless. I, anyway. I, yeah, let, let's talk about the trade. And uh, if you're just, uh, it's not a Canucks trade, first of all, put that out there. But a, a fairly significant trade around the NHL. The New York Rangers, fresh off of beating the Canucks, go out and acquire Vladimir Tarasenko and defender Nico Mikola from the St. Louis Blues. Going back to the Blues, a conditional first-round pick this year, a conditional fourth-round pick next year, which really is going to be a third-round pick because it's contingent on the Rangers making the playoffs uh, this season. Uh, a low-level prospect, Hunter Skinner, Sammy Blay, also returning to the Blues, uh, and the Blues picking up the tab on 50% yeah. of Vlad Tarasenko's uh, salary this year. Hunter Skinner's effectively a contract. Yeah, it, he was in the ECHL this year. And so. not productive. Yeah. Right, like not just in the ECHL, but not productive. So, the devil's in the details because, as you say, right, it's really a third round pick yeah. in 2024. We can safely assume that, and and this is important for those of you who want to look at this in terms of does it change your view or should it change our view of the Bo Horvat return? You know, the Canucks got a first round pick for Horvat that is most likely to be in the teens, probably the early teens. Uh, in 2023, mm-hmm. but with upside to be higher or, or downside of being lower than that, both this season or next, right? So, but most likely, I mean, it's a real first-round pick with to 
acquired from a team that's outside the playoff picture looking in at it, the moment. The way I would look at the Horvat pick that they got is it's a first round pick with a high ceiling, but also a relatively high floor. Like this is not it's not gonna be pick twenty nine. You know what I mean? There's a very good chance that it's pick thirteen, pick fourteen, something well, like that. We'll see how the Islanders <laughs> play tonight. Look looking a little wagon like, I All will right. say this week, but early days. Fact is, is that that's a strong first round pick. This first round pick that is going back to the St. Louis Blues for Tarasenko is the later of the Dallas Stars or New York Rangers pick. So that's for sure going to be late. That's like absolutely mid 20s. Yeah. One of those teams is winning around, you'd expect. So there's a massive gulf in value between what Tarasenko went for and what Horvat went for, which is consistent with a lot of things that we know about how the NHL trade market works. Number one, centermen pay a premium to get them. Number two, Bo Horvat, third in the NHL in goal scoring. More valuable than Vladimir Tarasenko, having a bit of a down year despite mm-hmm. still being productive, um, you know, I- into his 30s. The no move or no trade clause, Tarasenko had a full no trade clause. That probably made things a little bit tougher for St. Louis. And and honestly, my call, my like first blush takeaway here is I'm pretty impressed that the Blues were able to get this bigger return from... You know, a, a player in Tarasenko who's battled injury this season and whose five-on-five form has not been where it was last year, right? Like, at this point in his career, Tarasenko's really dependent on quality setup guys to be productive. Now, he's fortunate in that he's going to a team that has Artemi uh-huh. Panarin and Adam Fox, two of the best setup guys at their respective positions in the league. This could be a really nice stylistic fit. You go from Tarasenko... Or sorry, you go from Jimmy VC on your top line to Vladimir Tarasenko. I think that's pretty exciting. But it, I, I'm just surprised that the value for a winger was sort of relatively conventional after what we saw in the summer. So what are the takeaways here, and are any of them relevant for the Canucks? Spoiler alert, yes, but not in terms of the Tarasenko part of it, okay? The one thing that's not true is that Tarasenko netting a pretty healthy return the fact that despite what we saw this summer, the value of a winger um, seemed to be relatively normal, unchanged, consistent with what we've expected from past years at the trade deadline, I don't think has significant implications for the likes of Connor Garland and Brock Besser and whatever other winger you or the Canucks would prefer to move rather than moving one of their good players. And the reason for this is that Vladimir Tarasenko is expiring. And when it comes to determining trade value, particularly in season uh, and particularly in a world where we have no idea what the upper limit of the salary cap looks like next yeah. season, but it could be anything from flat to 87 million for all we know. Right. In, in a world like that, you need to, and teams will need to, and they will want to be extremely cautious about what long-term commitments they take. But if you're an expiring deal, they're still obviously willing to pay something approximating full freight. Um, the implications for this, really? Like, who are the winners in terms of that? Kyle Davidson in Chicago, sitting on Patrick Kane. Mm-hmm. And Mike Greer in San Jose, sitting on Timo Meyer. There's going to be uh, no quarter given, no no value deal for those high-end wingers who will be the biggest names I think we'll hear about over the course of the next three, three weeks leading up to the trade deadline. Yeah, James Van Riemsdyk, another one, lower down the the list. For but sure. Another guy but, who's But on a terrible on contract. Move. Yeah. Like, if James Van Riemsdyk has value on a terrible contract, $7 million per, you would think it's with 50% retention. For sure, but that still speaks volumes about how determinative term is versus salary. 
right? Like Brock Besser at six six, you'd rather have than James Van Riemsdyk at seven in a in a vacuum. And I guarantee you, like teams that are linked to James Van Riemsdyk include the Minnesota Wild, who would rather have Brock Besser in a vacuum, but one of them doesn't work, one of them does because one of them is expiring, right? So so let's get to the Canucks relevant takeaways. Well, because here's I, yeah, I think to me the the most relevant thing is not that it necessarily shows oh there's this big market for Brock Besser, but it it just takes a winger off the board for teams that are interested in wingers. Like that's sure. the number one takeaway I would have from a Canucks well, perspective. Well, and, and I suppose maybe your route to getting off of Besser or Garland in season is a team strikes out on Tarasenko, strikes out on Kane, strikes so out on Meyer, Meyer etc. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, well, are we willing to talk ourselves into? Garland and or Besser and by the way I don't think you should be talking yourself into those players I think those players are available for a song and could easily rebuild their value in in a healthier situation and and on a better team now let's get into the Canucks relevant takeaways do we want to do the opportunity cost one first you you, go nuts you choose man dealer's choice I'm going to do opportunity cost one (laughs) there was a lot of talk about what Andre Kuzmenko's value would have been and the idea that it would have been pedestrian. But you're telling me that he wouldn't have netted a first-round pick as a completely cap-neutral acquisition, given that Tarasenko, who has 30 points this season, has battled injury and is on the wrong side of 30, uh, just netted a first-round pick? Because Mako has 15 more points than him. Yeah. And and costs nothing. I mean, I was always fading, and and I granted that the reporting was solid and matched some of what I was hearing from industry evaluators. But you're telling me that a cap neutral, fifty five point winger on deadline day wasn't going to fetch a first round pick from a team that struck out on Meyer and struck out on, um, on on Patrick Kane. I'm fading that. I'm fading that hard. That's number one, and we don't need to dwell on it. That's my view of it. The Canucks have made their bed there. Hopefully, Rick Tockett plays him more than he did last night. Here's the other one. Tarasenko didn't just go for a first and was probably a third-round pick in 2024, right? Tarasenko really went for, like, a bunch of stuff to make the salaries match in a first. And Nico Mikula went for a third-round pick. Mm. That's the way to look at it, right? So Nico Mikula's a Finnish left-handed defender, likes to chop the puck up the, up the wall. <laughs> right? Like, not a lot of skill there, not a lot of upside, but a pretty reliable, relatively physical third pair defender. For the New York Rangers, he's an upgrade over Ben Harper, right? Like, Mikola Schneider is now the yeah, third just pair. To put it in context for everyone, uh, Mikola has three assists in 50 games yeah, this year, no goals. He's not going to burn one down, but he might be an upgrade over Ben Harper. Sick joke, Tom. All right. The. So, we've now seen Jacob Megna mm-hmm. go for a fourth. And Nico Mikola go for a conditional 2024 fourth that's likely to be a, a third-round pick. You, you now have it, the absolute floor of Luke Shen's market value. Right? Yeah. That's, that's one of the relevant Canucks takeaways from this. Like, if you were going to get back, like, what should now be banned is any texts to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber inbox that say, who cares if you get Luke Shen for a fifth? That's off the board. Yeah, it's not happening. Mikola's left-handed. Mikola doesn't have the same pedigree as as Luke Shen. He's not as physical. He's not as mean. He's not as respected. He has he's not as productive. He's not as, as productive. Luke Shen. Right. He's not played as much. So Luke Shen is going to have significantly more trade value than Mikola. We now know a, a you know an almost sure to be guaranteed third round pick 
is the absolute floor, the basin of Luke Shen's trade value. The Canucks will get more than that. I think they'll get a second at least. At least. Yeah. And I, and by the way, that at least looms large for me. Like, do not count out the possibility that he could get a second plus or 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 even a late first. Like, I was it, honestly, was, I know that sounds wild, but I, I mean it. Who was it the guy years ago who went for like two seconds and everyone was stunned? Brandon Hagel. No, 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 no. This was like years ago. This was like a depth defenseman type guy who was like big and physical. Are you talking Doug Murray yeah, for two yeah, seconds? Yeah. yeah. That was two seconds. Yeah, right? And but nonetheless. Like, yeah, two seconds. That's what I said. I said you two said seconds. You said two firsts. Oh, well, I meant two seconds. That's okay. Sorry. Um, like, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Five seconds. That's <laughs> yeah, the well, NBA return the du NBA, jour. If this is the NBA, Luke Shen would be getting five seconds without an, without a doubt, uh, because apparently that's what it costs to get just anybody who can play for you in the NBA right now. But yeah, like, a second-round pick plus a, a, not an A-level prospect, but a B-level intriguing guy, two second-round picks, second and a third. I think all of that is very, very reasonable to at least aim for with Luke Shen. And we should point out, uh, if you were watching the broadcast last night, Elliot Friedman saying, you know, yes, there's been some talk about do they keep Luke Shen in Vancouver, but because of the interest that's out there, they're also pretty confident they're going to get a price that they feel makes it worthwhile. And, like, obviously, I mean, if you're offered a second-round pick, that's very, very much making it worthwhile for you, let alone a second-plus, right? Yeah, it's just you shouldn't need adults in the room to do the obvious. Like, this is one of those Fisher-Price puzzles, and there's someone in the Canucks organization struggling with that level of problem-solving. That's a problem. Uh, Del- Unless it's the coach, in which case all is forgiven. Yeah. Uh, Dalvier texts in, the Rangers weren't able to score a fifth goal against the Canucks, which is standard, and immediately decided they needed Tarasenko. <laughs> I enjoy that. Only four goals against the Canucks? Come on. Um, Only four goals. <laughs> Got to go get Tarasenko. Needs hey, some added pop. Hey, Spencer Martin, by the way. Man, is this guy getting a rough ride from fans on a bunch of breakdowns that no one could possibly. Mm-hmm. And like double deflections in front. Yeah. With with a with a guy completely unmolested behind him in the crease. The um... <laughs> like, Come on. What are we talking? There's somebody. Oh. Jamie's definitely said two seconds. Drance is just too arrogant. (laughs) I admit that I'm wrong all the time. All the time. I appreciate the backing from the. uh, I just assumed you said two for. I just heard it wrong. It's fine. All right. All right. Don't worry. You know what, Jamie? Drance. I am sorry. Not for your benefit because you don't care, but for the benefit of our sensitive listeners. Drance, all I can say is you're you're a teammate and I respect you. (laughs) There, there you go. Uh, Drance is, uh... Someone's asking me if I can correctly pronounce the name Varlamov, or Varlamov, uh-huh. and explain to me why everyone pronounces it Varlam... Velarmov. I don't think anyone don't pronounces it like that. I-, I need to stop reading don't the text really message know. in Don't really know. neither here nor there. Okay, so... <laughs> Inbox really getting us, uh, off track. Usually that's my job. Um, okay, so... The Mikula part of this trade, I think, is the most resonant for the Canucks. So let's let's recap what the Canucks can take from the Vladimir Tarasenko trade. One, wingers on expiring deals look like they still have value leading up to the deadline. Would have been nice to keep some players that match that description in the chamber. Two, this should not in any way impact our view of the Bo Horvat trade. Bo Horvat is a better player having a better season who went for a lot more. These trades are not comparable despite both including a first. 
the gulf in value between Atu Ratu and a yeah. ECHL player is mammoth. The gulf in value between zero goal Sammy Blay, who hopefully can resurrect his career mm-hmm. in St. Louis. I was actually thinking while watching that game, like that would be a guy worth gambling on if you want to get bigger in the bottom six, especially because he's had some offensive pop, some ceiling in the past. I was actually thinking that watching the game. Hopefully he does well in St. Louis, a place where he's enjoyed success in the past. But the gulf between him and Anthony Beauvillier is also mammoth. Thirdly, this deal does not resuscitate the value of Brock Besser or Connor Garland. Stop it. Stop it. And lastly, the Mikola part of this deal is the most resonant in terms of Vancouver's posture into the deadline because it, it gives you a sense of what the absolute floor is on Luke Shen. Final thing, final thing in, in that vein. 2024 third is the only p- part of the deal that I don't love for St. Louis because you really want that 2023 third. Now, <laughs> you really do. Like, truly, truly, there is a big gap. Well, you can't get everything you want. No, you can't, especially when you're dealing Mikola. You, you know, like... <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, this isn't you know a yodeling competition. Mikola only goes so far. So, yeah, I mean the Rangers also didn't have a fourth this year, right? No, they gave it up for Tyler Mott, right? So the Canucks have that, correct? Fourth. Yeah. So there you go. Which, by the way, was good work, right? Like when the Canucks got the twenty twenty three fourth, it was like that makes sense. That's a better draft year. Um, but but if the Canucks are trading Shen, you got to get mid round pick twenty twenty three. Don't roll like if someone wants to give you twenty twenty four, take twenty twenty five. I'm not. I'm not kidding. Like the twenty twenty four class is going to be sweet at the top end, but don't you want to accumulate picks in this draft class? In this draft class, this is the draft. Like you could get Tanner Molendyke, legitimately. Like you could get like a really good, productive, fast BC born, although that's neither here nor there defender. In the third round, in you, this draft class, you, there are incredible players available. You've become so into the BC guys in this uh, in this draft class. They're good. Yeah, no, no, I know, but it's and, like... And you know what? It's going to last again next season oh. because the WHL classes right now are, like, significantly more talented than what you're seeing in the OHL and the Q. Like, the West, the, the Canadian West is producing the best talent in Canada right now. I, I don't know why, but it's just, like, it's where we're at. The... There's no Markham Waxers team that's got like Stamkos, Tavares, Subban, yeah. and Tanev on it right now. Like those teams are the Vernon Vipers, or sorry, the Vancouver Vipers. Like that's the team with Kristal Benson, but art like that. There's just been this explosion. And Savage and Molendyke, right? Yeah, I believe. Yeah. So, oh no, no Molendyke. I thought I saw that he was maybe, part of that team at was. some point. Maybe it wasn't a full time, but yeah, yeah. Well, he's yeah. Anyway, the the fact is is that right now there's just an outrageous volume of talent, and again. The WHL class in 2024, as much as I'm sort of saying you should devalue it relative to this class, that's going to be a really good one, too. In the West, it's just that the overall class is so much weaker, particularly out of Sweden, Quebec, and the U.S. national development team. I think there's also value to, like, there's all, future picks are all always discounted versus the pick in this upcoming draft, right? Because teams want to have it. Teams want to make the pick. Totally. There's value to having that. So, I mean, for Luke Shen, it's like, yeah, uh, no. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be letting teams push you down the road no. for that. Get that right now. I mean, unless they're upgrading it to you know a higher round pick. But again, I think Luke Shen's. I think Luke Shen's getting a second with a bullet. And I think the only question for me is, does he get more than that? So again, put to bed 
You know that thought in your head? A fifth-round pick guarantees nothing. I'd rather have the certainty of Luke Shen. You know that thing you want to text into the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber Inbox because you get mad at rational takes? (laughs) Save it. Put it in a can. Shake it up. Put it in your cabinet. And never use it. Um, we got a lot to get to today, uh, <laughs> including Caroline Cameron. Yeah, Caroline Cameron's going to yeah. join us in a few minutes. Uh, the Canucks play against Bo Horvat tonight, and the New York Islanders. So we'll talk about that at some point a little bit as well. You had a good piece up at the uh, Athletic with Harmon uh, that I want to get into, but I mean, do we? We just have a couple minutes here. Like any other kind of random thoughts about the game last night? I mean, for me, the biggest takeaway wasn't really anything that happened in the game so much, other than maybe the Luke Shen OEL pairing really predictably struggling against uh, a lot of the speed that the Rangers could bring to bear. But it was more just, you know, Rick Tockett, again, being pretty blunt and pretty direct. We weren't ready to play. Bad habits. Four or five guys weren't good. And then I love that he said, like, not only weren't they good, but it's like it's one thing to be off your game if you're still, like, doing the little things right and, you know, helping in some ways. And he didn't quite come out and say it, but he was basically like, you can't be bad in every possible way. But those four or five guys were. <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. But Sorry, we got a text in telling me that Richo and Sat said they would take the under on 295 for Luke Shen. So I just want to say this. I want to mark it for Lena and Dom, our producing team, but specifically for Lena, so that I can please clip this so that we can play it in the future um, when Luke Shen signs for more than that. I just want right. to take this opportunity to pat future me in the back for being devastatingly right. And uh, either one of us or a sponsor will be buying the other one pizza. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get that figured out, depending on how, uh, depending on how the, uh, the bet good, good goes. Good, good pizza, by Yes, the way. very, very good pizza. From a sponsor. <laughs> from a sponsor. Uh, 650-650, keep your texts coming in. Uh, the fantastic Caroline Cameron from the NHL on Sportsnet joins us next here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance live from the Kintex studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Clayton Public House in Surrey to bring you the big football party on Super Sunday, February 12th, hosted by our very own Randy Janda. You can reserve your table now at theclaytonpub.com. We will have tailgate and drink specials plus prizing throughout the day kickoff is at 3 30 the clayton public house good food good people good times and as a, a little tease for later in the show our radio listeners we got to do another edition of the people's picks at the end of the show so we'll have some uh, picks related to the quote-unquote big game at the end of the show uh back to hockey back to the nhl though we are now very pleased to be joined uh, by uh, Caroline Cameron, part of the NHL on Sportsnet. Caroline, thank you as always for doing this. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing great. We're enjoying. Uh, you uh, know, speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm doing terribly, but Jamie's doing well. Yeah, Drance, thanks for joining us, Caroline. Drance is a Raptors fan, so he's devastated that they didn't do more at the uh, at the. I deadline. know. I'm surprised too. Yeah. You're not going to get your uh, Jakob Pertle uh, jersey out from oh. under the. 
I love Yakapurtle. Under the attic or wherever. I love Yakapurtle. I actually got stuck in Boston when I was working for the Panthers during the um, like hurricane, the snow hurricane. What do they call them? A bomb cyclone. Yeah. Snowbageddon. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the Raptors were stuck at the hotel at the same time, and I, I enjoyed much of a brunch talking with Yakapurtle. He's a lovely guy. Oh, look at so that. I'm actually I actually really like him. I just feel like this is what Canucks fans must feel like. There you go, Yak and Pearl. Hopeless. Great, great brunch companion. <laughs> good, good to know. Um, but I'm excited because, uh, yeah, it's not just NBA trade deadline, but we had a pretty interesting NHL deal go down this morning as well. Vlad, Vlad Tarasenko headed to the New York Rangers. What's your instant reaction to the deal? It's funny because it took me back. I had to even Google it. To um, I remember just how vocal Tarasenko had been years ago, back in 2016, just trying to get Panarin to come to the Blues. And so those are two really good buddies. They played together when they were younger and now reunited in New York. And, I mean, I think that's a huge get for the New York Rangers. And even watching that game last night against the Canucks, you just see – and I did the Rangers playoff series last year, the first round against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And they're they're just a really hard team to play against and heavy. And granted, like a guy like Jacob Trubo wasn't – the star of the show last night but they have just so much depth in terms of where scoring where the heaviness can come from so adding a an offensive threat like Tarasenko to that mix absolutely makes them better than they were just a night ago so what else is interesting I think just looking ahead to trade deadline is you can't help but think okay well if they got Tarasenko then that means they're kind of off the board for someone like Patrick Kane who the Rangers were rumored to be interested in so this is where I find it fun leading to the deadline because it's kind of trying to figure out okay who's in and who's out and who might be in who wasn't in before caroline are you surprised given how little activity we've seen on the trade market all season that the blues were able to get a first round pick for a guy making 7.5 i think it's smart because Mm. i think in the nhl especially GMs are a little, I don't want to say, yeah, I guess timid's the right word, to do deals before the deadline. And people are always afraid to be the first team to do it. And St. Louis now, like I remember even doing rinkside a Blues game in Montreal, and that had to be just three weeks ago. They were just a few points out of the playoffs, and there was still hope. And then now they're, what, over 10 or 9 points back? And as you can see kind of in the West is, okay, it's time. So I say credit to the Blues for making the decision. You know what? We're not going to fool ourselves. We're not going to try and pretend that we're going to get into the playoffs or make a run. So let's try and get paid right now um, when we can get more for Tarasenko than we might be able to get um, come trade deadline and the literal deadline. So even as a fan, I wish – I mean, this is something that in – the guy for living in Calgary has historically mm. done in his career is trying to get guys earlier. I think it's smart in two ways because I think it's better for the market in terms of figuring out what you can get. And as you said, getting a pretty good haul back. And I think it's smart because it gives you more time for that player to get to use, get used to the new city, to the new system, to the, his new teammates. So I don't know, except for when we're doing our trade deadline show, if it's all quiet, I'm not going <laughs> to like deals like this. But right now I do. Caroline, do you think the Tarasenko price here is going to impact? You brought up Patrick Kane, and obviously the dynamic's a little fluid because on the one hand, the Rangers drop out as bidders, presumably, in that sweepstakes, and yet, you know, Kane and Timo Meyer surely are going to net more 
than Tarasenko. Do you think this has any impact on market prices that we see between now and March 3rd for wingers in particular? Hmm. That's a really good question. Yeah, I think it does a little bit because it's even like any guy signing a contract, right? It kind of sets the new standard of what, what will come. But I think it also is just, it's like doing any business. It just depends how last minute everyone leaves it in terms of trying to make a deal because then the sellers are going to feel like, okay, we just want to try and get whatever we can get to a certain extent um, in the short window that they may have. But I think other GMs are probably looking at it and thinking, oh, okay, like we got to, we got to make sure this is a, a pretty bid if we want to get the players that we want to. Tarasenko though, too, like, I, I, I'm just so, even though I was saying before about the Blues, like a few weeks ago, they were very much focusing on, I mean, at least publicly, keeping Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly being public about how much he wanted to stay in St. Louis. Um, I'm just so impressed and yet surprised that Tarasenko got done on a day like today, just early February, mid-February, um, before kind of all the hustle and bustle. So it was probably, as you said, it's an offer that they couldn't refuse, and especially with that first-round conditional pick, take it. Uh, Caroline, you were on the broadcast for the Canucks and the Rangers last night. Second game for the Canucks without Bo Horvat. I think it was only the fifth game uh, with Rick Tockett behind the bench. So kind of very early stages of a bit of a new era for the Canucks. And, of course, there could be more changes coming. And, you know, I know people were, including Rick Tockett, were pretty pleased with how they played against New Jersey. But it seemed like a lot of the same defensive lapses uh, cropped up again for the Canucks against the Rangers. Yeah, I think so. And even as Sam Cosentino pointed out last night on the broadcast, the Rangers play such north-south, and they're so quick, and they utilize those stretch passes so seamlessly and so effectively. So especially if your defense is a little shaky, that especially hurts. But I think as we've seen against the Devils and against the Rangers, and as Rick Tockett has probably already understood, is defensively, they need to be a lot better. And so now the question is, and I think it's like you should still get rid of Luke Shen, and then ha- give him the opportunity to try and win, and then he wants to stay in Vancouver and try and re-sign him in the offseason. But you have to build um, from that blue line and, and just have a, a stingier defense in the NHL in order to keep up. But the bright side of the Canucks, kind of as you alluded to in the last two games, was, I mean, the talk early in the season was all about the comebacks in the NHL and how they weren't working towards in the Canucks favor where it wasn't about comebacks. It was about coughing up multi-goal leads where in the last two games on the road against really good teams in the NHL who were at home, the Canucks did a really good job about fighting of fighting back Even against New Jersey with three goals in just 50 seconds. The Canucks, even of a few months ago, I, I would have thought, okay, this, this is over. And yeah, they didn't win, but at least you see that effort. And that's what you want to see, especially at this point in the season when, just as we spoke last time, we spoke about just how probably emotionally um, exhausting this season yeah. has been. It's good to see that effort and that fight. And I, I think that also comes with having a new coach and wanting to put your best foot forward. Caroline, let's sort of talk about the Canadian teams a little bit because you brought up Brad Living, and it occurred to me, particularly as you were talking, just as my Twitter feed filled up with Kyle Dubas quotes from his availability in Toronto today. Uh, that both of them share a, a, a common uh, trait, which is that they're both on expiring deals. Um, which Canadian team do you think is on the most, or is under the most pressure 
between now and March 3rd to dramatically upgrade their roster? Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, let me just think here. Yeah, I, I still think it's Toronto. Mm. And especially, I think back, if there's any Blue Jays fans, and you think back to Alex, uh, Alex Anthopoulos and that right. deal to get David Price yeah. in. And at the time, it wasn't really known publicly that he wouldn't come back. But once he left, uh, I think there was a better sense of, okay, now I can see why he didn't mind selling the farm, right? To get price and try and make make that run. And even doing the Leafs game against the, against the Bruins, excuse me, last Wednesday before the All-Star break, similar to what I was saying about the Vancouver Canucks, it was so glaring that some of their young D, like Lilligren and Sandine, just weren't good enough. And if they're going to have any shot of beating Tampa, because that's the first thing, they just need to win a first-round matchup, which is going to be Tampa, and then have any hope of getting past Boston, they need some serious upgrades. And even two weeks ago, the thought was, okay, it was another um, top six forward. Well, now it's, okay, they probably need another good D. And because if the Leafs don't get past the first round, I just don't see how the least are going to give Kyle Dubas any more time, even though he's had so much regular season success. I think the pressure more than ever is on him to make a deal. And because he doesn't have a deal himself, and I don't know this on any, this isn't any insider information. This is just a thought is I think that's when GMs are a little bit riskier, right? Cause they're risking it. They're risking their job. They need to keep their job. So if he's not going to be here in a year from now, Maybe it's worth getting rid of someone just to try and win. And and with the uh, with the Leafs, you know, as you said, obviously there's a lot of pressure to improve to make sure you at least get past Tampa in the first round. You know, I've heard uh, lots of Leafs fans say they would love a reunion with Luke Shen uh, and he could really help them out on the back end. But you know, you look yeah. beyond that, the the cap situation for the Leafs is so complicated. Do they like? Do they have the ability to go out and make like kind of a bigger splash than that, given what their salary cap situation is? That's the thing. No, not necessarily. And now you have the fact that Jake Muzzin um, is injured, so that helps them financially. But no, they don't have a they don't have a ton of space. And the Edmonton Oilers too. Like we're talking about the Leafs, but that's a team too where I think there's going to be pressure to make a move because they've slowly, steadily been climbing the standings. After a month ago, there were questions of whether or not they'd, they'd make the playoffs. And now the Pacific Division's opened up a little bit. They've been the hottest team in that division since mid-July. So they need to make a move too. But you're right. With a lot of this team, specifically the Leafs, is how much movement can you make? And they have a lot of, like, they just signed Condor Timmons to an extension for just over a million dollars. So that, that's like Mark Giordano's under a million dollars. They're doing all they possibly can and players are too to sign for less just so they have a bit of a hope of um, of winning. But that's where I think you have to look at guys like, okay, maybe Luke Shen would be a really good fit there. This is kind of a bigger picture question, Caroline, but you know, every year when the NBA trade deadline rolls around and there's all these moves and we, I mean, we just saw Kevin Durant traded again. And there's always this conversation in the NHL, right? Where it's like, why don't we have stuff like that? And I think part of it is, uh, as you said, a bit of, uh, timid, timidness from uh, NHL general managers, but a p- part of it is also the hard cap and how difficult it is to make those sorts of moves 
in season, would you like to see the NHL explores, explore ways to maybe add at least a little bit of flexibility so that a team like Toronto that really, really wants to improve going into the playoffs wouldn't be so handcuffed from being able to do it? Yeah, I would, because I think it's just so fun for for fans. And even in our business, like between Sportsnet and TSN, like trade deadline, it's 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 become a thing just because oh, yeah. of the two networks, right? And it's, everyone tries to build it up. And even Duffy over on TSN and Amber over here, they're always kind of joking on the day. Okay, like something, something happened. And it turns into such a fun day in terms of broadcasting. But you're right. It's, we, we rarely in the NBA get those big splashes. And I think even LeBron actually setting the record uh, just this week as the all-time leading scorer in the NBA and kind of watching, there's a piece on Sportsnet Central just about his career and going back to that brutal decision uh, and going to South Beach to play for Miami, but just how he and that decision changed the game. And I think it also changed the trade market because now stars were more in charge than the owners and the GMs in terms of them saying, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to trade. And we just don't see it to the same extent in the NHL. And I think it's I think it's great because it's just total chaos, but it's fun. And it doesn't guarantee, like, look at the NBA in terms of, like, Brooklyn had Kevin, um, like, they had the big three, right? They yeah. had Harden, they had Kyrie Irving, and they have Kevin Durant, and nothing came from it. And now they don't have any of them. It's just, like, it's a total chaotic, wonderful mess. Hey, they won seven playoff games. <laughs> <laughs> I think they only played 16 games together. They played together. like less than 20 games together. Yeah, unbelievable. Wild. What a joke, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you hate to see it. Uh, thanks. You made me, you've, you've made me feel better about my Raptors fan misery uh, just with uh, the reminder that they could be Brooklyn. Um, Being responsible isn't fun, right? And I say this I as someone who is sometimes like overly responsible. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as fun. <laughs> it's safe, but it's not as fun. All right, let's let's twist that. I'm going to put you on the spot again, twist twisting your answer there. What's the team you'd most like to see throw caution to the wind? Who who should be the Phoenix Suns of this NHL trade deadline? Ooh. Um, maybe Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah, probably Edmonton. They have so many fur like recent first round picks. Who exactly. have real value, like? Yep, and it's also at a time right now too where if they don't go deep in the playoffs or honestly win a Stanley Cup in the next few years, that's Connor McDavid in his prime. And every year, the discussion and the whispers kind of get louder about, okay, you need to keep him happy. How long is he going to want to stay here without winning? So I would love to see them throw caution to the wind. Yeah, Leon Dreisaitl, the other part of that as well, doesn't get talked about as much, but two more years yeah. left after this one, and, you know, pretty important piece to keep around and keep yeah. happy uh, as well for Edmonton. Uh, in conversation with Caroline Cameron, part of the NHL on Sportsnet coverage here, Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And uh, just to bring things back to the Canucks a little bit, you know, you mentioned that the last time we were talking, we were talking about how, how many emotional moments there have been for the team in recent days, and now another one lining up tonight, playing against the former captain for the first time, Bo Horvat, and his new team, the New York Islanders. I'm really looking forward to the game, but you know, just focusing on Horvat and the Islanders, he's had a couple games under his belt there. They've won both of them, scored his first goal the other night. What have you made of the early fit for Horvat with the Islanders? I, I, I was so happy for him. I think that was so good, too, to play in his first home game um, 
on Long Island. That was a really good win for them just in the standings, but also against a really good team in terms of the Seattle Kraken. So, so far, so good. And I think tonight's even good for the Canucks and it's good for Horvat in terms of the first time their meeting is on the road and in New York. Um, so they can kind of get that monkey off their back. And then, I mean, the, his return to Vancouver is going to be absolutely massive. But in a way, even though it seems so bizarre, it's only his third game for the Islanders. And this is going to be his first reunion with the Canucks. It's so quick, but it's probably yeah. a good thing to just rip the Band-Aid off and, mm. and get over it. But for, for the Islanders right now, like this is, this is go time. Because they're out of a playoff spot, they they're tied with Pittsburgh, who has the second wild card spot in points. They're just out of a playoff spot because of points percentage. So now's the time to move because it's it's really Washington, Pittsburgh, and the Islanders, and there's still Buffalo and Florida hanging around just behind them. So yeah, it's go time, and they might still have some moves left in them before the deadline. Caroline Horvat's Islanders line mate Matthew Barzell has a habit of raising his game against his hometown team. Horvat, presumably, we're going to see just about the most motivated possible uh, Tyler Toffoli-esque version of him <laughs> this evening. Um, Canucks on the second leg, but back-to-back didn't play very well in, in New York or in Manhattan last night. Is this a dangerous one for them? For the Islanders or for the Canucks? Well, definitely not for the Islanders. They're playing the Canucks. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I think it. Yeah, this is going to be a this is going to be a tough one, especially like the Islanders. One of the reasons they got Horvat is because they're not an offensive team, and by that I don't just mean that they're not near the top or near the bottom in terms of goals scored in the league. It's also Lula Amarillo just did not build this team to score. They built this team to defend, and they're so stingy defensively, and that's why we've seen someone like Matt Barzell not really be the superstar in the league that he's capable of being because he's so responsible defensively that he's not able to cheat as much offensively, even though he's a great talent. So, yeah, this is going to be a really tricky uh, tricky game for the, the Vancouver Canucks and for the Islanders, kind of as you alluded to. It's like this is a perfect opportunity for them if they want to try and get into a playoff spot by the end of the night. Yeah, you know, I really can't decide who must be happier about playing on a line together, Barzell or Horvat, right? Because Barzell now has, you know, an incredible yeah. sniper, third leading goal scorer in the NHL to pass to, and he's one of the best playmakers. And Horvat, you know, it was a storyline for years here that he didn't have uh, necessarily high caliber line mates to play with. And all of a sudden he gets to uh, to ride shotgun with Barzell. So worked out pretty nicely for both of them, I'd say, on Long Island. Even the first goal for Horvat was yeah. nice, right? Like that was a pretty pass and a pretty goal. Caroline, always really appreciate the time. Thanks for chatting with us, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, watch now, Horvat not score tonight, or Barzell and yeah. Beauvillier will uh, get like watch the play. Something. And the Canucks just win. terrible. <laughs> the Canucks win two yeah. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Caroline. Have a good one. Yeah, you Bye. too. Yeah, the Canucks get. I'm their not f- nervous about the that. Canucks get their first shutout of the season. Well. I mean, I sort of have this rule that, like, it happened earlier in the season where I, I did a whole whole rant on uh, Donnie and Dolly, actually, about the Kings model and them passing the Canucks and then the Canucks put in probably their best effort of the Against season. Against the Kings. And it was that 5-1 win at home, right? And, like, the people just dunking on that clip as if I was wrong, but, like, obviously I wasn't. It was just one game. Um, not that it matters. Not that there's anything wrong with being wrong. Uh, but, um, yeah, it was... Um, so I was worried about that with the Devils game when the Canucks started coming back. Because <laughs> I was like, I touted the Devils model so hard. Like, 
Is this just a curse at this point? The, and the Drance curse. And in the interests of our listeners and their deep desire to see Connor Bedard in Canucks colors, should I stop doing this model thing over the latter half of the of the season? Now, I'm sure some of our listeners are saying you should stop doing it because it's bad content, idiot. But fact is, is that uh, is that I I got nervous about it. Well, how many time. times last season did we talk about uh, the Florida Panthers like losing a trade but gaining cap space? You know, they were in the midst of a President's Trophy season. And then and, they win a trade, and, and then, then uh, it doesn't go well. <laughs> it doesn't go, doesn't go well for them. <laughs> Things are, They're struggling this year. Um, but anyways, whatever. <laughs> the, under, the underlying point stands. Well, I mean, they really lost a ton of trades. At least we panned. At least we were right, because we were on the air while, while it was happening. At least we were panning their deadline moves. Yeah, that's true. Right? The Ben Chirot deal. I was brutal Oof. on both that and the Claude Giroux. Didn't, I think I used the word the cooler for Claude Giroux, which, by the way, <laughs> looks like it's been pretty dead on for two teams now that he's gone to with high hopes. Yikes. Uh, Johnny from Langley texts in, I sincerely hope Bo goes full to Foley on his old team tonight. Full uh, to Foley. Total the, to Foley. The, uh, the only interesting, I mean, look, realistically, Canucks fans are still mostly rooting for losses. They want those sweet lottery points. Yeah. But you do have to be concerned about the, the Islanders', Islanders points winning. total as well, well. The Islanders, if the Islanders get cooking, their five-on-five profile is very good. And they have Elias Sorokin. But it is what it is. Like, it is what it is. That's locked in. There's nothing the Canucks can do to control it. Um, you know, and I don't recommend rooting against the Islanders. Like, that's not – then you have to watch their games. <laughs> <laughs> that, although although that Barzal Horvat line is legitimately fun, I've enjoyed their first two games. I'm I'm looking forward to watching them tonight. I I, I just think you're going to see the absolute apex version of that Islanders top line, and that that's not to say they're going to win. It's to say that I think that top line is going to have a night, and the Canucks better be able to match. It. You would think so, and I mean, look, Bar, like Barzal, fantastic skater, and we saw what fantastic skaters can do to the Canucks defense last night oh. in New York. Well, let's right? well let's save that for the other. Other side, because I think we need to do a whole segment on the speed of the Canucks blue line after what we saw the New York Rangers accomplish yesterday. Uh, Marcus and Gibson says, says the worst Bo could do is score a couple, but then let us win to ruin Team Tank. That's from Marcus and Gibson's. No, Bo Horvat wants to uh, absolutely demolish the Canucks. I can pretty safely say that tonight, uh, like most players do when they want when they go against their former team, but especially when they go against this team. <laughs> Yeah, it seems to be that way. The Toffoli thing was not normal. The Toffoli thing was absolutely wild. Well, because I remember he'd scored the hat trick in the first game, and remember they were doing like the MLB-style series yes. during that 2021 yes. season? And I'll still remember because it was an empty building, right? And he's got two the next night, and he misses narrowly. I may maybe he hits the post. Crossbar puck goes out of play. And the expletive that he yeah. yelled was like louder than anything I heard in the bubble. Like he was so mad. Were they up big too? If like it was like one. irrelevant, completely irrelevant. <laughs> he was so mad to not have the back-to-back -back hatties. Like he, he, honestly, his reaction was like worthy of Bill Buckner in the moment. Like it was, and it was just such a telling. It was such a telling expression of how he felt on his way out the door. And if you don't think the Toffoli experience has loomed large for Horvat himself over the course of this season, you are wrong. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the Islanders, as you said, the uh, the Canucks issues with speed on the blue line as well. And I want to get into your piece from The Athletic about uh, some of the inefficient contracts the Canucks could be targeting ahead of the deadline. Lots more coming up. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. 
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands here with you. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.com. Net. It is, of course, Canucks game day, playing Bo Horvat and the New York Islanders uh, coming up at 4.30 Pacific time this afternoon. Of course, as always, you can hear it right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, but also, as you mentioned, I uh, want to talk a little bit about one of the things that stood out in that game against the New York Rangers yesterday, which the Canucks lose 4-3, which was the... Not that this is news, not that this is something we're just learning about. We've all watched Canucks games plenty. We've seen this in action, but it was especially present last night, which was the lack of speed and how, especially on the blue line, but I would say really throughout the lineup, and how much fast teams can put pressure on and exploit the Canucks well, like the Rangers did last I night. I don't really consider the Rangers to be like a very fast Well, team. they have fast players. They have, like, some, they have some fast players, yeah. but they, I mean... Their forecheck played. Cam, Cam Sharon had the numbers as 64% of Rangers dump-ins they recovered. That's, you can't win like that. Like, you can't win like that. When Rick Tockett was talking after the game about how five of their guys weren't playing well, and when you saw how much he was juicing Stillman and Ethan Bear's minutes down the stretch mm. of the game, I don't think it's hard to imagine that in addition to Kuzmenko, who he specifically was asked to single out and agreed, uh, I think he was probably talking about some of his defensemen. Um, Luke Shen and Oliver ekman Larson as a pair is not fast enough. It's just not. And, uh, you know, the uh, Oliver ekman Larson speed showed, obviously, on that first goal, the Kreider goal, right? That was a tough moment. Yeah, that one. Well, the thing with that one is it's the speed, but it's also the lack of awareness, right? And, look, the NHL is getting faster. We all understand that. You do not have to be a burner to have success to hang to to even just break even right in tough matchups but if you don't have that speed you have to adapt you have to do things differently and the thing with Oliver Ekman Larson on that play is he's he doesn't seem to recognize that the foot speed is an issue so he's just kind of drifting into the middle of the ice and opens up this massive space for the Rangers to break the other way like okay you have a, little, a bit of a foot speed issue you got to change the way you do things you got to adapt how you play and look maybe that'll come down the line, I don't know for Oliver ekman Larson, but that's the thing that really stands out for me with him this year. Is It's not just that he doesn't have the foot speed. It's that there doesn't seem to be any adjustment to how he plays the game as a result of that. I think that play last night is a really good example. It's just you, you can't be in that position. You can't be in that position if uh, if you have the foot speed that he does. No. No. it's um, That was a tough moment. And so – Luke Shen and Oliver ekman Larson were targeted on 14 zone entries for the New York Rangers. And according to Cam Sharon's microstat data, the Rangers entered the zone cleanly on 10 of those 14. Again, you can't win like that. You, uh, like, there's no chance that you're winning like that. Now, um, you know, a couple of the Rangers' goals were point shot goals, so I don't think it's worth dissecting too much. You didn't probably like Tyler Myers or Sheldon Dries' coverage when Stillman no. went to hit the guy behind the net on the second goal. Uh, you probably, you definitely didn't like the way that Shen and Oliver Ekman Larson's foot speed um, was at issue 
Although again, like to some extent, you know, it's like being mad at a at an animal for acting like an animal, right? Like, uh, you know, Luke Shen well, and Oliver Ekman Larson yeah. aren't fast. I mean, the one thing I will say is you don't have to play them together. Like, that, yes, no, that's what I'm saying. You like, know what I mean? I'm like, not blaming them. Yeah, for Kreider and Trocheck exploiting them vertically. You know, to some extent, like that's one thing that I think Rick Tockett's going to have to be really considerate about is can those guys play together or do you need Bear with Ekman Larson and Hughes with Shen to sort of balance out or or sort of make the skills a little more complementary on the back end? Because the calibration of Bear with Hughes, and we've seen it, where like they crush defending in the neutral zone and they spend a lot of time in their own end of the ring or in the opposition's end of the rink, but on in-zone defensive zone coverage, and you can actually see it on the third Rangers goal. A little bit, right? That that's not their forte either of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just I think the I mean sometimes there's a reason Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen have worked so well. Like sometimes it really is as simple as put a big strong guy with the fast, speedy, slightly smaller guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like sometimes it really is that simple. Well, Bear played big minutes last night too. Led the team in five on five ice time. Singled out by uh, well, talking after, and the he game. should have been. Yeah. The Canucks outshot the Rangers ten four in those minutes. Uh, goal for, goal against, but the goal against was on that point shot goal. There was some iffy work down low. Maybe a stopper gets the gets the puck from the Rangers in in, in one position, uh, sort of below the goal line. But, I mean, I, I don't call that a mistake, uh, and I don't call that goal a particularly – like, that was somewhat of a soft goal mm. in my mind anyway. So, I'm um, not blaming him for that. Bear's an interesting one, particularly because of his contract status. Right. And because of how complicated it is to navigate with players that are restricted and arbitration eligible and only have one year before unrestricted for agency. Like Bears, not a value keep. Bears, not the Canucks getting Connor Timmins at two times 1.1. By the way, really quick, as an aside, just because people love when I talk about the Maple Leafs. Oh, yeah. Connor Timmins, Rasmus Sandin, Mark Giordano, all signed by the Maple Leafs now. Pretty good. All pretty good defensemen who have helped them a ton over the course of this season. Giordano makes 800K, Timmins 1.1, Lilligren 1.4, Sandine 1.4. That's under 5 million in total cap hit on what, like guys you'd call two through five defensemen? Yeah, and that those all extend through next season as well. So that's pretty good. Under 5 million for that- four guys that you can play. That's not bad. That's a that's a high level of efficiency, and you know will help them offset at least in the near term the fact that they probably made a misjudgment extending Morgan Riley, right? I mean that's an inefficient deal, and I don't know how it made sense for them considering, you know, <laughs> considering how well they performed in his absence this season. Um, tidy bit of business, nonetheless, for the for for the Leafs with with Connor Timmins, um, but yeah, Bears going to be. Bear's going to be more expensive than that, right? You look at his contract, you look at his qualifying offer, um, you know, it's going to be 2-2, million dollar qualifying offer. So that's sort of the baseline. And then his arbitration case is going to be really strong because he's played a lot mm-hmm. since coming to Vancouver and he's been relatively productive. So, you know, you're looking at a, a player where if you end up in arbitration, which is no longer as nasty a process as it used to be. Far more professionalized than the days of Brendan Morrison and Kyle Wellwood, two of the most famous acrimonious arbitration hearings in Canucks history. Um, but 
you know, Bear's one of those guys who's going to get an award that's inconvenient, particularly because it's higher than you want, but probably not high enough that you can walk away from it. So if it gets to arbitration, you completely lose all sense of leverage. Um, and yet, if you're trying to sign him for four, four years or something, you're buying three UFA years and it's not going to be two and a half million, right? Like if you could get Barrett two years, two and a half, for me, that's like, that's probably your best case scenario because you're going to be paying too much to go long. And I really like Ethan Bear. I think he's been easily this team's second best defenseman. His skill on retrievals is tremendous. I don't know that he's shown enough other than that. Like his, his puck management and puck moving is looks great on this team, but it's not high end. Yeah, the the question with Ethan Bear has always been, okay, you can like him as a player, but do you like him to be in your top four when you're trying to win? Right. Right. That's the question. And are you and if not, how much are you willing to pay for a guy who you kind of look at as a four or five type of player? Well, and I don't mind paying a guy to soak up minutes on a team during its down years, particularly if they're a good person who works hard and, you know, is fun to watch. Um, and enjoys playing in Western Canada, all of which is true about Ethan Bear. So, you know, if you could do something like a two-year deal, I think, that would make a ton of sense for the Canucks. Buy out one UFA year to keep the cap hit as as modest as possible and preserve his asset value, but also have a guy who can log minutes for you um, next season and, and the season after that. To me, that's sort of the play here with Bear because I just don't see the value in going long. I don't know. Earlier this season, I was talking about extending him early as, as a method of creating value. But I think based on what I've seen of his performance and based on the dynamics of play now that he's had months of playing really well for this team um, and, and what that's done to his arbitration case, uh, you know, his arbitration case and vis-a-vis and -vis his leverage or like by extension his leverage, uh, I think the, probably the club should be looking at something like two years and he's sort of like a down year asset that maybe in a year and a half becomes a useful trade yeah. chip. If you, if you can rebuild his value and really get him to buy into playing matchup minutes, like that to me is the most important thing is what can, can you get him to embrace that challenge and rise to it on a consistent basis? Cause to this point, I think that part is still very much an open question with Ethan Bear. Yeah, I think for for the Canucks to go long on a player at this point, the upside, the potential upside would have to be so huge, and it's just I just don't see that with with Ethan Bear. Like yeah. I don't you're, you to bet on like a five year deal or something. I'd I'd still do it with Hoaglander and, and or Pod Colson, but I'm a little reluctant to do it now that the Canucks are so loaded on the wings, mm. right? Like so much of their talent and and investment is on the wings that I think it's a, a really complicated. Um, thing to go through. Now, yeah, and I, th I think the other point you make about Ethan Bear, you know, he's going to turn 26. If you do do a two-year deal, you're retaining a lot of flexibility to move him down the road. Like, that's, that's a very – an asset which has a very good chance of still being desirable at some point on that contract. So even if you can make the case, well, hey, you're trying to clear salary, you know, move him at the deadline to somebody this year – I think at least if you do the short-term deal, you're keeping your options open down the road. You're not locking yourself into them. So I, I can see that one making a lot of sense. And as you said, like, hey, pay the guy to play on a bad team and maybe you increase his role, increase his numbers, and then try to move him down the road. That 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 can absolutely work well, out in the and, Canucks' favor. But that's the way that this team should be thinking about the moves ahead of this deadline, right? Is, you know, you're probably entering a down cycle. You just are, you know? Um the Tarasenko deal is only the fourth trade of this season. Like since September 1st, where more than 2 million worth of cap commitments changed hands. 
Like it's first one not involving the Canucks. First one not involving the Canucks, which I mean, was really incredible. Well, it, it's incredible too because it's like such a clear demonstration that it's not for a lack of trying. Yeah, and actually, I think it really drives home that like uh, people might not want to hear this because of the relative lack of action based on what was expected. But like, I do think they deserve a fair amount of credit for getting those deals done. No, but just in the context of... You absolutely of... do not have to hand it <laughs> No, no, seriously. But in the context of no other deals happening. What, what, um, sh- you get partial marks, but like the trick is not to be making trades in the flat cap era, although it is a trick and it's impressive. So if you want to give them golf claps, go ahead. <laughs> the trick is the trick is to have understood a year ago. No, no. Yeah. No, no. The trick is to under have understood a year ago that the players with no value can't be moved in this environment and you have to consider more drastic action to revamp this roster. Like that's what we were talking about this time last year. That's not what the organization did. So you don't get you don't get credit for like cleaning up the mess that you would if you didn't want, make the mess in the first I place. I want to be clear. I'm not saying it's like sufficient. I know they've done the absolute best they could. Right. I just think it does, when you frame it like that, it does drive home the difficulty, not just like we're talking about but two see, different I things. I think it drives there's, home there's the, the misjudgment. Di- there's the diagnosis and then the execution of what you want to do, right? Right. And so I think like the execution is obviously really difficult. It also doesn't help that we probably think they've made the wrong diagnosis. But, but it's like, but it's like, how much credit do you give someone for a lovely renovation to their home? Like mm-hmm. you've, you've added an extension to your home and you've built a lovely solarium. Unfortunately, it's made the entire house structurally unsound. <laughs> how much credit do you get for the lovely design yeah. work in the solarium? That, but it's not the trades that have made the no. foundation unsound. No, but it's the judgment behind them. Yeah. It's the it's the let's go in and let's let's focus on extending our good players. And moving out the players we don't think have value because that's how we get better, right? Like that's that's a that was a fundamental misunderstanding of the market and of where this team was at. And these trades are all cleaning it up, right? Like you do the Dickinson trade, it costs you a future asset, and that enables you to do the bear trade. And then you have to make a cap neutral Bo Horvat trade, and you only get to make one of those trades because you extend Kuzmenko and Miller. Like, you know, that's not even partial marks awarded in, in my mind. That's that's a misunderstanding of where this team was at. That that to me is what's revealed by how stagnant the trade market, how stuck all teams have been, and the fact that the Canucks are sort of outliers among them, struggling against the current. It just sort of emphasizes how poor the overall big picture plan was, even if the club's, you know, sort of professionalism and relationships and and deal making, you know, it still sort of recommends it. But this but this has always been the issue, like the thing we've been talking about the whole time. Is like for this team, the big picture matters, not the not the small mm. stuff, not the conventional stuff. You know, I, I don't have doubts about this club's ability to manage the conventional operation. I mean, aside from some of the medical stuff we've heard this year, um, you know, it's it's the big picture that they've missed on. Brandon Vancouver Texan, what type of solarium are we talking about here? <laughs> Better be a pretty nice solarium if it's compromising the foundation of your house. I don't know. I just spent like one of those like screened sitting rooms or like. You know, something like that. I, yeah. Obviously, I'm not like a renovations guy. No, no. <laughs> you do not come to this show for home improvement tips. I can tell you that much. Absolutely not. I can absolutely <laughs> tell you that much. Um, what, are, what on earth are we talking about here? <laughs> no, we're what are we doing? I, I actually have a, I have a nat- natural segue. All here right, Because I think we're talking about big picture Canucks stuff. Yeah. Ahead of the trade deadline. And so Ethan Bear's one to watch because, you know, and this is something I wrote about a couple weeks ago. Uh, we haven't really discussed on this show, but in my mind, Vancouver should be treating 
pending RFAs, particularly those with QOs, qualifying offers above one million, as if they were pure expiring deals, right? Like, there's a famous story in Canucks lore that the Canucks had a, a trade framework basically agreed to with Alex Burrows, mm-hmm. right? And we're grinding him on the super team friendly deal that they had, and then finally at the deadline it was like, choose, this is the deal, or this is the trade, right? You can use the trade deadline to put pressure on players to make decisions that are team-friendly, right? And I think that's the approach that the Canucks have to take with Ethan Bear. That's why I sort of brought it up now. Uh, Travis Dermott would be the other one. You know, I'm not I'm not saying you're getting a haul for Travis Dermott, considering he's not in the lineup and he's been injured for much of the season. Like, that's sort of an acquisition that hasn't worked out for the club. But if there is interest in buying some puck-moving insurance for a 6th or a 7th, you know, that Robert Hag, Troy Stetcher, Nathan Bolia price, I mean, that's better than nothing. It's, it's something the Canucks should absolutely be considering, particularly given the success of their 7th-round pick last, you know, in Montreal, right? The Kon- Kondrachev or whatever? Kurgisov, yeah. Whatever, he's been good. Um, he's, Kirill, he, I think. He's in the Sioux. Kirill's definitely his first name. Yeah. Um, so... With regard, though, to a couple other things that I, I think we should be talking about, and we'll we'll transition from this into my latest article at The Athletic, Canucks trade deadline targets nine problem contracts they should consider. But the, another situation that I think we need to monitor here and that I think the club should approach with, you know, a, a decisive level of risk mitigation here is Aiden McDonough, right? And, and we've talked about this a few times, but I think the Aiden McDonough factor – needs to be viewed this way, right? Aiden McDonough, before his senior year, was given a full-court press by the Canucks to turn pro before he could go back, do his senior year, which gives him a pretty easy option to do the old Justin Schultz path, withdraw from college before your graduation, become an August mm-hmm. 15 free agent. Um, the club, ha- like Patrick Alvin personally called him when those efforts were rebuffed, they really tried to get him into the system last year, and he said no. Since then, McDonough has said all the right things. Patrick Alvin met with their family a couple months ago. Uh, I, everyone in the Boston area, sources, say that that meeting went very well and that Alvin was extremely impressive. But also everyone says a decision hasn't been made. Okay, This becomes a, a risk management situation. You believe what someone tells you? But it's like a trust but verify, right? At the end of the day, once you get past the deadline, you are in a position where it's very, very difficult to net anything of value. Not that Aiden McDonough would have a ton of it, but anything of value whatsoever for this seventh round pick that's, you know, hit for you in terms of becoming more valuable than a seventh round yeah. pick over the course of the last four or five years. Um, in this situation, typically, my advice, and this is purely structural, not based on inside knowledge, is you are better off netting value rather than rolling the dice on your ability to sign the, the player. Right? You've got one last opportunity to monetize. Maybe you can do an Adam Fox style offseason deal, but teams probably aren't going to look at uh, the opportunity no. to pitch McDonough as, as something worth paying for in the same way that the New York Rangers were willing to lock up Adam Fox. So I, I would strongly be considering if I was the Canucks um, using him as a sweetener over the course of the next three weeks. And and again, that's not based on a will he or won't he assessment. That's just the risk factors at play. And the fact that sometimes 
actions speak louder than words, and you need to read those actions. When a player goes back for their senior year, they become an asset you should trade. In my opinion, hard and fast rule. I'm dogmatic about it, just like I'm dogmatic about long second contracts and some other stuff. I'm always going to say these things, no matter what, that this is one where that's just my view of what they should do. Uh, and yet, in the organization's eyes, I think McDonough is seen as like indispensable, given the state of their prospect system, and I don't think they're wrong. I just think they're kind of painted into a corner. Well, I w- indispensable feels like a little much again because we've they talked have, about they, they have so nothing. many no they have nothing but where they do have something it's on the wings yeah sure but I mean we'll see like you know I first of all I don't really consider Hoaglander and Pod Coles and prospects sure uh, Lakaramaki's been disappointing McDonough's continued to do McDonough stuff he definitely is going to be if you get him a prolific AHL player day one mm-hmm. um, like they don't have enough. B minus C plus quality prospects in the system to afford losing one. How and, much? And yet, I think they have to reckon with the probability that it's too risky to not do so. So obviously, McDonough holds a ton of the leverage now. At this point, is the Canucks like the is the basically the only card they have to play is the fact that they can get him in the NHL this year potentially, right? Depending on when his season ends. Depending on when his season and ends. you burn a part of your EL a year of your ELC then, right? And yep. then. Because if you wait until August, obviously that's not that's not an option. Like I, yeah. I wonder how much how old that is he though? Like, it's not like he's it. looking at three years yeah, anyway that's true. based on his You're age. Right. He's, right? he's twenty three. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I think that you know it matters, but I don't think it matters nearly as much. Um. You know, as it would like at twenty three, he's only signing a two year ELC. So yeah, you do you want to be a year away from unrestricted free agency? Maybe. But also, then your ten point two C any like your ten point two C anyway. Yeah. You don't have, be an RFA, not an. It doesn't. UFA, it yeah. just. I think teams. I think players realize now. Like the real benefit is when you're like eighteen months away from being eligible to sign an NHL contract because it's the ninety two thousand dollars signing bonus that's mm. like a big deal for people, right? Like nine hundred grand today. Like yeah, it sounds great. Uh, that's sort of the big. Or do you want to wait eighteen months and? take on that risk that you don't get hurt and that you keep playing well and on and on. Right. Like that's the, that's the pressure point for players at this point after his season ends, the benefits muted. So look, maybe, maybe, I mean, get to be part of an AHL playoff runs a good pitch, Yeah, but I, I don't know that it's decisive. I think the, I think the risk just gets too high. Once a player gets here again, this is a dogmatic rule of risk management that I just subscribe to based on having covered this league conversations with agents, players, et cetera, over the years, including guys like Troy Stetcher and, and Thatcher Demko and Brock Besser guys who left college. And in Thatcher Demko's case was like a very tough decision, right? Like the look, go look at the structure of He got, he got first overall pick bonuses on his entry level contract, which tells you sort of what, how, how difficult that negotiation was from a Vancouver perspective. Um, the other thing is we've heard one of the things that we've heard a lot consistently and we've also seen them follow through on is an unwillingness to risk losing UFAs at the NHL level for nothing, right? We saw it with right. Tyler Mott, obviously Bo Horvath well, done think, this year. I, I think they are all in on doing what they can to sign McDonough. I think there's a lot of belief in the relationship built up by Ryan Johnson and his staff. Uh, obviously, they hired Scott Young, who's like one of the best college yep. recruiters in the NHL over the past decade. Uh, in in a similar role, he's New England based. I, I mean, I haven't been out to New England this season, but I'd imagine he's been a he's been a regular at Northeastern games. So you know, it's not like they're it's not like they're in a bind necessarily here. But 
uh, certainly it's going to be a complicated one to manage. It's something to watch. Uh, final segment coming up. Keep your text coming in 650-650. Uh, we'll dive into your latest article up at The Athletic right now. Uh, Drants are looking at some uh, interesting trade deadline targets for the Canucks. That's coming up. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Trance. Happy Thursday. Final segment of the day here. Live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, yeah, we have uh, video evidence. That I did, in fact, say two seconds. It was, it's been put up on the 650 Twitter feed, settling the dispute once and for all from well, earlier in this year. When, when you told me you'd said two seconds, when you insisted on it and our listeners did too, I accepted. Like, I'm not so stubborn that I believe that I can't be wrong about what I hear. My hearing's terrible. Much better at talking than listening. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Um, <laughs> anyways, I just it's just a very funny clip to put up. <laughs> yeah, Dom's been killing it. Dom has been absolutely killing it. Um, keep your text coming in, but uh, as mentioned, uh, you and uh, Harmon Dial, your colleague at The Athletic, have a good piece up today. Title is Canucks Trade Deadline Targets, Nine Problem Contracts They Should Consider. And I, it, it's interesting because so often with a team in the Canucks position, right, it's all about what other teams could be interested in than their players. You know, who who wants Brock Besser? Who wants Connor Garland? Who wants Luke Shen? And we don't often think about kind of the reverse. Like, are there actually players the Canucks could acquire that would still be smart uh, and future-oriented and long-term for them? Well, and, and, it, and more than that, too, think about it as um, thrifting. Mm. Someone else's trash could be Vancouver's treasure. Like, truly, the state of this roster is such that there might legitimately be useful players that other teams would see as a negative value pro- proposition but who would help the Canucks so let me let me bring up we've already seen one, not necessarily that he was negative value but Ethan Bear wasn't playing for the Hurricanes he sure can play for the Canucks <laughs> he was he was yeah he wasn't negative value but he was he wasn't far off yeah he wasn't far off considering he was two and a half million and you know, Lane Peterson's another good example. He was a one-way contract in the AHL. Like, those are inconvenient things for teams to have, particularly if they're a team like the Carolina Hurricanes in a non-traditional market. So Mike Riley's one of the guys on this list, and he's sort of the genesis of this article. Like, I was just perusing cap-friendly pages and designing fake fun trades in my head because that's what I do around this time of year, and that's what everyone does at this time yes, of year, right? absolutely. Listeners, 100%. Let, let me know if you don't do that, just so that I know if I'm... No, everyone really an outlier. That, yeah. Like fake trades is like one of the bedrock things you do as a hockey fan, as a hardcore hockey fan. You Absolutely. make up fake trades. Of course you do. Yeah, make tr- fake trades. They're the best. So I was looking at Mike Riley, especially in the in, um, you know in the wake of reports linking the Bruins to Luke Shen. Now the Bruins are a little tough because they don't have any seconds. I believe they don't have a second this year or next. And as I said earlier on the show, like I think Luke Shen's market price is a second round pick. Yeah, they don't have a second-round pick this year or next. They traded uh, both picks in the Hampus-Lindholm deal. Pretty good work by them, by the way. Lindholm's been a great fit for them. He's been really good. Um, So, I thought you had to trade top 10 picks for 
30-year-old Swedish defenseman. Anyway, um, so I was thinking about it because Mike Riley makes $3 million through 2023-24. And the Bruins, you know, if they have interest in Shen, that's probably not all they're going to do. The Bruins, first of all, like to use the deadline to acquire Hampus Lindholm types. Mm-hmm. They like to use the deadline to acquire, like, meaningful fixtures long-term. Um, they're also going to be looking at a situation where there's real uncertainty about Bergeron's playing future and Krejci's playing future after this year. And as Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick have talked about at length on the 32 Thoughts podcast, with those guys taking less, there's a sense that there's an obligation to pay their players back for facilitating the construction of this team, which do you know that the Bruins have only allowed a hundred I think it's eight, but it might be 109 goals against this year. And the next closest team in terms of surrendering goals is it is in the one thirties. Yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they're the best re- goal prevention team by like a factor of 20%. It's, I actually think people are not talking enough about how good of a season they're having. They <sighs> could, they could lose every game from here to the rest of the way and still be above 500. Lose every game in regulation. They already have 83 points. They're ridiculous. It's I really mean, good. It, the, incredible. So if they're going to make hay at the deadline, right, they need to figure out ways to clear out a little bit of cap space. Like, I think they have some flex, but I don't think they have flex to play in the bigger um, sort of pots, the, the put their fingers in the bigger pies, as it were, over the corner. Is that – I don't know. Maybe that's wrong. No, I get it. Stick their beak in on yeah. – on bigger deals. Um, two and a half million. They, they can't, they can't million. sit at the high stakes tables. They have two and a half million in cap space, so you probably need to clear out an additional, you know, two anyway, to, to do something like your answer to the Tarasenko deal with another team retaining. So Mike Riley, currently signed, signed for three million, is taking up nearly two million of their cap space this year and next. So he also impinges on their flexibility into next offseason where things like David Pasternak's status will loom large. And, mm-hmm. and also, even even though I'm saying that the Bruins have some cap space, that's with Jake DeBrusque on LTI. They actually have to clear cap space to get DeBrusque activated, uh, although not if he's out through the rest of this season. So I, I suppose they can probably manage that Kucherov style. Yeah, <laughs> they can fake it. They can fake it till they make it. So... Is there a world where taking back Mike Riley, who, by the way, I think would immediately supplant Ethan Bear on my list of top two Canucks defensemen, a <laughs> um, little bit undersized lefty, which is you know suboptimal, I guess, but realistically, this team just needs so much on the back end that I don't even care, and I don't think they should care. He helps them move the puck, and he brings some speed to the lineup, and boy, do they need that. He's a, he's a bona fide NHL player who's you know out of favor on a really, really deep blue line. You know, where where the likes of Greslick and Lindholm and Forbert um, and Clifton, who can play LD, live, right? I don't know that I'm blaming that on him necessarily. So I was thinking about this, and, and I decided we'd build a list of nine other contracts that the Canucks could consider because taking back bad money, considering Vancouver has about $4 million in LTI space, could make that nearly as much as $8 million in LTI space if they also put Tanner Pearson on LTI. Um, you know, you sort of get to this moment where the Canucks might be able to help problem solve for other teams, right? You could take back money to facilitate or juice the return on the deals you're making. Uh, you could, and and by the way, that's basically what the St. Louis Blues have done today, to great effect. Take Sammy Blay back and yeah. retain fifty percent of yeah. Tarasenko. I mean, they're willing. They were willing to spend, like they paid a lot of money to get a first round pick, and that's how you kind of have to do it. It's not an easy sell to the ownership level. 
but that's what serious teams do. Um, but yeah, or or even function as a clearinghouse. Like one of the names on here is Alex Kerfoot, and I didn't sort of get too deep down the line on this, but like there's no way for the Maple Leafs to make a blockbuster type trade that doesn't involve them sending out one of Kerfoot or, Kerfoot or Engvall, and I'm sure they'd prefer to move Kerfoot. There are teams that would probably not have a ton of interest in, in taking him back. In taking him back. If they could avoid it, they'd rather just the raw futures. And also, if the Maple Leafs are making a blockbuster anyway, they're probably going to be interested in, in washing half of that cap hit through another team. Right. So it's not difficult to see a world where the Canucks could get involved, right, um, in, in a three-teamer and, and get the player and retain some measure of, like you could maybe even get like a look at Kerfoot before the off season, see if he makes sense for you as a Horvat replacement or, or what have you. Cause I think he's totally fine. At yeah. Center. As another guy um, that no. you could potentially sign to like the two year, if you could get him on a two year or three year deal or something, right. Where yeah. it's, you're not, you're not taking on the risk of a long-term contract. He can play for you. And then if he has value, great. And he might have interest in trying to rebuild his value, considering what his usage has been like in Toronto. So plus West Vancouver kid. So yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot of um, there's an awful lot of options here, and we sort of go through seven names. Last one that I wanted to bring up is Hadobin at three point three five and Gurionov. So Gurionov, I, I don't know how this has happened, but like at twenty two, he was a seventeen point in twenty seven mm-hmm. playoff games guy as the Dallas Stars stormed to the uh, Stanley Cup final. Two hundred pounds, six foot three, absolute lethal shot right like the sort of shot that can legitimately play on the right side of the half wall and since then his game's just fallen apart like i don't know his two-way impact's bad this year his offensive impact is non-existent two goals in 37 games well and it's not just that it's like you look at his most common line mates over the last two seasons when he's really struggled and it's like sagan and ben now sagan and ben aren't what sagan and ben used to be but it's not like you know it's not who you'd expect it's not like he's playing with um you know Kamano and and other you know Rhett Gardner uh, I don't know I'm just listing Dallas Stars farmhands at this point um, he's gotten real opportunity so this is a guy though who's making 2.9 million and is a relatively frequent healthy scratch for the Dallas Stars the Dallas Stars have truly no cap space the Canucks also don't like have goaltending necessarily and in a world where they end up dealing Demko over the course of the next month I mean why not go to the Stars and see what they'd pay you to take on Hadobin and Gurionov. And in Gurionov's case, you know, yeah, sure, it's another winger. <laughs> but also, but also, it's a 25-year-old guy. Like, that sort of fits the template of what management's been talking about. Like, this guy could use this change of scenery, and he's still got star potential if he can rebuild his game to where he was in his early 20s. I mean, this is a guy with multiple 20-goal seasons on his And resume. that's a much more palatable change of scenery type move than giving up an asset to get one, right? Like, if you're like, hey, we have some cap space, and you're going to give us something, and there's upside to this player, sure. Like, I I have no problem with that whatsoever. It's the idea of trading a meaningful piece in some way that would really, I think, concern people, rightfully so. But, yeah, if it's just what you're – the bad contract you're taking back. And would they consider – would they consider Garland? Would they consider – you know, like, what would they consider Mm -hmm. as as part of the return? I mean, could you move off money in that manner? If you're taking more short-term bad money back from a team that's feeling the pressure that comes with trying to win a Stanley Cup, right? Because that's the other thing that's in Vancouver's favor right now, or should be if they're willing to recognize it. Vancouver now has time. 
Vancouver has time to not be good because they're not going to be good anyway. And you can make that time work for you. You can use the clock to your advantage. The, the teams that don't have time, the Maple Leafs, the Calgary Flames, the, the teams with real pressure and contractual pressure on the general managers and on the coaches, like those teams might pay a little extra, a little extra to improve marginally here. And the Canucks, even having traded Bohorvat, still have players that can help them do that, help other teams do that. If you can accomplish those goals while netting futures, while netting additional cap flexibility like that's the game between now and the deadline and the Canucks have sort of stumbled into this point where part of their probably their best remaining asset isn't actually Luke Shen although it's probably still Luke Shen but their second best asset is just the fact that they can probably add about seven million in cap commitments to help other teams get the stuff they want to get done done in a market you know, a, a money in money out market that's incredibly difficult to navigate. And I think the important part is right. Targeting the teams that are really feeling pressure and really have to are, are basically backed into a corner. Like, Hey, if you want to improve, you have to do a deal like this in order to be able to improve. And a couple of the names that really stand out to me that are on your list, one, uh, and this will not be a surprise, but Kasperi Kapanen out of Pittsburgh, uh, and also uh, Andreas Janssen from the Devils, who's actually in the minors. He cleared waivers. He's play, He's buried in the minors right now. And with Kapanen, there's just so much there that makes it make sense, right? Like, obviously, Pittsburgh should be 100% all in as long as they have Crosby and Malkin and Latang performing at a high level. They're, there's talk that they're interested in adding on the wings. They're not happy with Kapanen. And... We know that Jim Rutherford really, really likes Kasperi Kapanen. So that one just seems like there's so many reasons to make it fit. And I even wonder, I mean, is he a piece coming back in a Brock Besser deal? Is he a piece coming back in a Connor Garland deal, right? Where it doesn't completely make the salaries work. And maybe there's some other things you have to do, but you are, you're helping them get off some money. You're clearing cap space at the same time. And maybe you get an extra asset thrown in for your troubles. And with, uh, with Janssen in New Jersey, um, you know, if they they seem like a really logical fit for Timo Meyer for me from a playing perspective, and also, I mean, how much fun would it be for them to go out and add Timo Meyer? They can't do it without clearing salary. Like they have to clear salary. And again, you just you have a team that's in kind of a desperate situation like that. Like, could Janssen play for this team? And maybe you rebuild some value down the road. Yeah. Absolutely. And if New Jersey wants to do Timo Meyer, that's the price they're going to have to pay. So I think those two really stood out to me as like, there's a lot of logical reasons why that could come to bear. I mean, I should also note that we've heard New Jersey linked with Connor Garland, with Brock Besser. So there's fits there uh, as well. Well, and Zaitsev would be another one, but that team doesn't have the pressure that's, on That's not now. like, oh, we have to do it right now. No. I mean, although, who knows although, with Pierre Dorian? Although Kasperi Kapanen's an interesting one to me, too. Um, just because of the ties between Pittsburgh and That's Vancouver the in the front offices, but also, you know, the the Pittsburgh Penguins, it's been very obvious to everybody that um, they're Elias Pettersson, Marcus Pettersson, sorry. <laughs> uh, there's too many. <laughs> I'm, I'm mixing up my Petterson's. excuse me. Uh, there, Marcus Pettersson has been available for a long time. He's on a big deal. Kapanen's on a big deal. Jason Zucker's been good this year, but if there was a meaningful upgrade, would they consider it? You know, is there a world where the Canucks could? And then obviously we know about the Jari situation, mm -hmm. and then perhaps their interest in upgrading in net. 
you know, given the uncertainty around Jari's health, like, is there a big deal you could do with the Penguins where you shed a ton of years um, worth of commitments over the course of a, a, a deal, you know, to help them upgrade their blue liners or sorry, their goaltending that also returns the future. Like if you can do a deal like that, that causes you to take back a, a contract or two, you might not otherwise want, but in the process, you net a first or, or a quality future and create the cap flexibility. That's basically impossible to create. That's the sort of thing this team should consider. Reverse OEL trades, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that stands out, it's a little different than that, and as you say in the piece, it might be more of an off-season thing as well, uh, is the Cal Peterson one in LA. Like, that just seems... You look at a team that obviously has started to push their chips in, right? Going from, hey, we're rebuilding, we're, we're collecting assets, to we're spending assets to get better, we want to get better. They have a massive problem in net. You have a equal salary guy who would be a huge upgrade for them. They have the assets to make it worth your while. Like there are so you have a goalie coach you believe in and think can help mold guys and rebuild their value. Like there are so many reasons why those teams should be talking <laughs> about about that swap. Why it could help both sides. Well, it might be more of a summer thing, but it it's amazing. Boy, it makes a lot of sense. It's amazing how many teams have buried salary goalies. Like these goalie contracts are really coming back to burn teams. Like here's a, here's another you know, far more modest example, but like might help a team clear cap space. Laurent Brossois mm. in Vegas, you know, that's that's a one and a half million dollar hit roughly on their books this year, even though he's in the American League. You know, it, it, the, uh, he wasn't on the list, but is there a smaller version deal with a win now team that needs help on the wings in which you help their cap situation now, right? And they help your cap situation long term while also getting the upgrade they need at a position you have a surplus of expensive pieces at. Like those are the things that could meaningfully alter and enhance Vancouver's flexibility to do interesting things and accumulate over the near future or even improve like or even improve or at least give you the potential to improve. Yeah. Right. Not even that's not the reason you do the deal, but there's the possibility that it happens and there's the possibility that it puts you in a better position down the road, even if that's not like the the primary motivation for going out and doing it. And I will say, like, if we do see a deal like this come to fruition, the other thing is it's just a good sign of where the front office is headed and what they're thinking, because we don't see them do deals like this. We haven't seen them do deals like this. And all of a sudden they are willing to consider it and execute it and pay for it. Like that's a positive sign. I think there's been a real organizational reluctance to take the long view. And I don't think that's a management thing. I think that's consistent across multiple management groups that this organization has had. I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding that again is, is bone deep with the organization, not just a management thing, a fundamental misunderstanding of how cap space can and should be used and I think that misunderstanding has become catastrophic in the flat cap era, right? Like it was always there, but the last four years have made it abundantly clear. By the way, I had some people on Twitter today tell me, well, two things I want to address. These are these are uh, airing of grievances. <laughs> I had one I had one person at me on Twitter today talking about how you can't really blame the GMs. No one saw COVID coming in the flat cap, and it's like okay. That was a fair thing to say in October of 2020. But the moment that omnibus return to play CBA extension deal was agreed to between the NHLPA and the NHL, like we knew we had three or four years of locked in flat cap ahead of us, like four cycles into the flat cap era. You can't say, well, it's no one's fault. You couldn't have anticipated. You couldn't have four years. Four years is plenty of time to anticipate something and plan for it, especially in hockey terms. Come on. That, that's grievance one. All right. 
Okay, Grievance Two We're is doing a late Festivus here. Yeah, <laughs> Grievance Two is all the people in this in our in our Menchies on uh, on the six fifty six fifty Dunbar Lumber inbox talking about hindsight. None of this is hindsight. We were literally having these conversations a, a year ago. It's just that now it's apparent. Now it's inarguable. Now it's not just projection. It's what's in fact come to pass. That's it. Anything else? <laughs> any, <laughs> any more grievances? I mean, I know you have more grievances, but, but I, that we can suitably air those were right the, now those at the were, end of those, the show. Those were the main ones. Those I'm, I'm the main just ones. in a combative mood today. I, I get it. Um, this text comes My in. My time management was really bad this morning. You ever have those mornings? Uh, not really, because my mornings are all identical, because like I have to you get have kids, the yeah. kids to daycare at a certain point, so right. it's like rote, basically, at this point. Good for you. Um, so I really can't manage my time poorly, but I don't know. I, if I didn't have that, then yes, I would have bad time management <laughs> days. I assure you, left to my own devices. Usually I don't. Today it was bad. I would manage my time poorly. Um couple more minutes here before we uh, do our, our people's picks to end the show. This one, if the Devils miss out on Meyer, would they consider Besser? We've heard their name, their agent confirmed to Ben Kuzma that they've talked to the Devils, or Besser's agent, I should say, confirmed to Ben Kuzma. That does feel like where the Besser situation is headed, right, is teams miss out on Timo Meyer, some of the other less complicated wingers, more upside, you know, less, not not term, rentals, those types of things. Uh, and then maybe they circle back, uh, hashtag circle back season to Brock Besser at some point. It certainly wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me if the Devils were one of those teams. Another one comes in. I believe under Tockett, Garland's value will only grow. Might be best to keep him and make that move in the offseason. Yeah, Garland feels even more like a hold than Besser does to me just because Garland's always kind of like he's never had the pedigree that Brock Besser has had. Like Garland's a fifth round pick. I think obviously undersized, you know, really had to scrap his way into the NHL. And teams, we know, like when you're a first round pick and when you have the rookie year that Brock Besser has, like that halo follows you around for a long time. So I think you're more likely to get decent value from Brock Besser at this stage than you are from Connor Garland. And then Connor Garland, again, yeah, especially if you're making some moves, trading Brock Besser, et cetera, he gets to play with Rick Tockett, a coach he's had success with. I think there's a pretty decent shot that he ends up uh, rebuilding some value later on down the road. Uh, 650, 650. Thanks for everyone texting in. Uh, we are going to wrap up now. For real this time, Canuck Central is coming up next. Is that correct? Yeah? Okay. We'll say it's correct. Canuck Central is coming up next. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. All right. It is time for the People's Picks, brought to you by Play Now Sports.